Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. First time in franchise history that this team has been five and zero, which is kind of funny because like in when they went, they went four and zero, and then of course four and one in twenty thirteen, and we knew that team was really really good and destined for for greatness, and they went on to win the Super Bowl that yeah. year. This year though, um, they're five and zero, and we know the offense is really really good. I think the defense is better than. We might think it is really because statistically they're the worst defense in the history of the NFL through five. I know, I know. And not even, and not even by a small amount, like they're significantly worse than the second worst team. in Well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about everything. I mean, this is the bye week We've got extra time. Who cares if we run over a little bit today? You know, Uh, we don't have a game uh, coming up this weekend. So, we're going to get you all caught up with uh, uh, the year so far. How did we get to 5-0? and What's going on this week? Uh, what are the Seahawks up to uh, to get ready uh, for, for a game against the Arizona Cardinals um, in a week and a half or so? And then uh, we're going to try to transition into uh, where are we at for the rest of the, uh, the year. We'll look at the schedule. We'll look at uh, uh, the players coming back uh, that have been injured or uh, out of the system for a little while. And uh, we'll cover darn near everything in between probably. So let's have fun. Let's have fun. Yeah. That's the first, first, first order of business. So 5-0, and oh, Keith, uh, like you said, first time in franchise history. Unreal. It's, it's crazy how we've kind of gotten to 5-0. and oh. Um, you mentioned 2013 is kind of like the pinnacle of Seahawks existence, which is absolutely the truth. Um, but somehow or another, we even beat that franchise, uh, cause they didn't go five and oh. Yeah. They went four and one that, that franchise. I mean, you, you think back to that year, the, that Seahawks defense is one of the most dominant defenses in the history of the NFL. Um, the offense was, was good. Um, I mean, it was conservative. It was solid. Yeah. Um, in terms of its play calling and, uh, and stuff, because they knew the defense was that good and they didn't want, you know, turnovers and stuff to screw it up. But, um, you know, that team dominated its way through the, through the year. And, uh, maybe, only, only maybe. the, only the, oh, really the only That's revisionist. Team, Come on. No, it really Keith, isn't. The only team. We that, struggled on a few games in that, in that schedule though. I mean, sure. Tampa Bay beat was leading us at halftime, like by some ridiculous score. You're right. You know, earlier the team, in the year, the, because and the Houston the team game didn't show up, and but they still came out after halftime and outscored the team by 28 yeah. points in the second half well, to come back yeah. and win. I mean, th- that's a dominant performance. Well, you're right in the, the second half. You're right in the fact that we basically uh, were the DVOA kings for the better part of you know, two or three seasons there mm-hmm. where we were number one overall, but number team, one on defense for that sure. Team, but that team was, was great and they, they were significantly better than everyone else except for San Francisco, who was also great at the time. Uh, the Seahawks were just better. And 
really there was no other challenger um, in the NFL. There was no other team that was going to challenge Seattle or San Francisco for uh, the Super Bowl title um, that year. And this year, um, this is a team that is five and zero. They're even better than that 2013 team as far as record. But have they been dominant at any point? Uh, well, we've Atlanta, certainly, yeah. Well, we've certainly given up tons of points and tons of yards, right? Mm-hmm. But DBOA kind of likes us, you know, even on defense. So overall, we're ranked third in DBOA. We're third on offense. We're eighteenth on defense. We're fourth on special teams. So you would think that maybe we'd be twenty eighth, given the fact that it's painted as being really out of whack but when you take a look at the advanced stats we're 18th which is maybe a little better than than i thought you compare that to um the most difficult team that we have the remaining uh remaining is the los angeles rams believe it or not a team that we completely discounted at the beginning of the year before the season started as a team that was on the downslide and would finish dead last in our own division looks maybe a little bit stronger than we thought they were. They're fourth overall in DVOA. We play them twice. Uh, fourth on offense, right behind us. Eighth on defense, and 29th and and uh, on special teams. So st- statistically, uh, they are very evenly matched with us. Surprisingly, other notable teams just on DVOA, and we'll leave that uh, alone. Uh, we just played Minnesota. They're ranked 11th overall. Despite being uh, one and four. Be, despite being one and four. That was the darn good one and four team I thought we faced. I thought they did. They had an excellent game plan against us, and we'll talk about all of that. But it, I just thought it was it was a great game plan. Uh, 13th, Minis, uh, Miami is 13th. Carolina 14th. Buffalo team. I, I, I did uh, notables. These are the teams that the Seahawks are going to play. Uh, Buffalo at 15. Dallas, we had already played that 16. Arizona, 18. San Francisco, 19. New England, 20. Atlanta, 25. And then Washington, New York, Philadelphia, and uh, New York Jets, 28, 29, 30, and 32, respectively. Um, did you have Green Bay? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. Just, just I think they're number one overall in DVOA. Because they're they're the other 5-0 team. They're the one, they're the team that... Um, the bandwagon's growing in terms of national media right. and um, everyone's hopping on the, the, the green Bay band bandwagon. But and we can, don't have to play those guys until playoffs. Yeah. Yep. If we get that and far, I can understand why they would jump on the green Bay bandwagon and not Seattle given Seattle's defensive struggles. Um, whereas green Bay has been just as good offensively, but the, and their defense hasn't been nearly as terrible. Um, so I can kind of get get behind uh, that move, but overall, like the well, Pro Football Focus has uh, the Vikings offense uh, ranked fifth overall, which mm-hmm. which if you take that in consideration a little bit against our defense, it, maybe it makes things a little better. Uh, Seattle's ranked number one overall. Green Bay uh, ranked number two. Browns three. Los Angeles Rams four. Um, yeah, I mean it's just. Uh, there's so much to talk about. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I just, what I wanted to do is kind of wanted to first figure out how we got where we're at, because I just thought it's, it's interesting. It's like you, you, 
when you're five and oh, you kind of gloss over some of the stuff. And we really kind of squeaked out a few games. Um, we did have the convincing win in Atlanta, but that last play uh, defensive stop against Cam Newton on the on uh, fourth and one uh, with New England and week uh, three win versus Dallas ended on a Ryan Neal interception in the end zone to preserve that win. Week four, we forced five field goals against Miami. Uh, better, possibly a better team than than uh, given credit for. Um, and just one of those, uh, if if they converted a touchdown, we would have lost that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Vikings game, stopping them on the four yard line on fourth and a, basically at inches, half a yard, and driving ninety six yards in under two minutes to score and win um, while converting the two fourth down plays. I mean, that's how we got to five and zero. Oh. It's it's just and and I was thinking about that two thousand thirteen team and you mentioned them earlier how we kind of dominated through there but they squeaked out a few wins early in that season as well before they got really in sync and dominant you know in the second half of that of that year and there's still time for Seattle to kind of put the defense together a little bit and I think and we'll talk we'll end uh, the podcast um, with uh, some of the expected players that we have coming back and we may end up having some reinforcements there on the defensive side that may give us you know, a little bit better of a chance. Yep. There's forward. some help coming. Um, and let's, we'll, we'll tease, uh, the final segment with that. There is some help coming, um, some significant help on the way. And, um, so we'll look at that later in the show, but let's, um, let's finish diving into this, uh, Minnesota game because yeah, there's some really interesting things here. Like the Seahawks offense has been hot this year. They've been dominant. One of the better offenses in the entire league. And they did nothing whatsoever in the first half of this. Game. Oh, that was hard to watch. And some of it was that the defense couldn't get off the field. That's, so, that was hard to watch. I mean, we had so, three drives, Keith, in the first half. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard to get in any kind of rhythm to get any kind of, I mean, you think about the way Russell Wilson plays and his, uh, he makes so many plays where he's extending the play and, and those things. And, that the energy level that you see from him gets stronger as the game goes on um, or the more that he's out there on the field. And when teams can keep the ball out of his hands yes, and that was the key to stay this game. on there, he does have a harder time getting going. And yeah. it just was a struggle for the entire offense during the first half because the defense could not get off the field. You, at some point, you have to give Minnesota credit and Mike Zimmerman um, come in with a really good game plan, uh, mm-hmm. and they executed it really well. In fact, you know, at the end of the game, uh, they led the, the possession, uh, time of possession uh, stats almost double. Uh, they had 31 first downs to R18, um, third down conversions. We actually did pretty decent on defense, held them to 6 of 14 um but some of those were at very key moments. Ours were zero for seven. Our mm-hmm. offense was the number one offense in the NFL by almost any measure or, or top two or three. Mm-hmm. Oh, for seven on third down conversions. We definitely need to work on that. Um, but we but did that, convert that hasn't two, been a, two that of hasn't two. Been a, been a, an, a major issue. But we are um, ranked 28th overall on third down conversions. In, really? In, on the year. Yeah. But, but how much of that was going over seven in this game? Yeah, thirty. We're ranked thirty first after five games. Yeah. So, um. Yeah. I mean, that's something that that definitely we can work on. You know, and and 
quite frankly, that's a solvable uh, problem uh, mm -hmm. if you really think about it because Seattle is so successful on all sorts of other plays and downs and so forth. I don't think that's a huge ongoing issue. Um, but, um, yeah. But in, and in total yards, they had 449. We had 314 total plays. They had 83, 83 plays on their offense. We had 52 and we won the game and we won the game. Keith. But we, we won the game because of, uh, winning the turnover margin. So they got an extra drive. They won the game because they, that's uh, huge. They forced field goals instead of giving up touchdowns, um, which kept the game. And they forced and they forced that that fourth. Yep. You know, down they, situation. They, they yeah they. Um, Minnesota had a ninety six point nine win probability at that moment, and they made that choice. I mean, if you think about it, Keith, here's the deal: they're they're fourth down on the five yard line, and by going for it, by going for it, they created the only scenario in which Seattle could win in regulation. And then they did. Seattle had a, a win probability at that moment of 3.1%. And yeah. they chose to go for it. And by choosing that and not getting it, they gave Seattle the opening and they took it and won. True. Um, but if you... If they would have kicked the field goal, they would have been up by eight, by eight and forced Seattle to drive just like they did and convert two-point conversion true but you're also not just forcing to tie them, in regulation you're not forcing them to drive 90 um and you would have forced them to get yards. the get the coin toss and drive down again to win i mean mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a hard thing it's a hard thing being a coach in that situation because everything in your body everything that the confidence that you would have in your own offense to to be successful on that play given seattle struggles all year trying to make those kinds of stops and in that game, you would go for it. You would, I would, I would have, but, but, thought, but you I have consequences right if you call. don't get it. I thought going for it was the right call because it was, um, if you don't get it, you're giving the ball to the Seahawks on the six yard line. If you, if you kick the field goal, go up eight, now you're kicking the ball off. And worst case scenario uh, for Seattle is you have to go 75 yards for the score best case scenario is you get a big return and now you have you don't have to go as far um you're you're creating a, a situation where the drive is, is yes you have to get eight um in you know instead right. of giving it a chance but everything that the you're drive saying is, is right easy, but the drive is easier um, but everything you're saying is right i mean mike zimmerman is you right now you've literally you've talked yourself into it but you're facing Russell Wilson. That's the difference. You're giving the ball back you're, you're to facing, Russell Wilson, 94 yards, Seattle's one timeout with less than two minutes. 101 yards on the ground. And you can't get one yard. You've been, you you've know, been, Seattle you've is been known eating, to come up with big plays now and again on defense. They did it against Cam Newton. For they did it against, they did it against uh, Dallas and Dak Prescott with the interception. They make big plays at you, big moments. You have been eating the defense alive. You get the first down, you take a knee, the game's over. The Seahawks have done that in the past when it was, you know, with Marshawn Lynch, you, you go for it, you get the first down, and you, you put them away. Kicking the field goal puts the ball back in the other team's hands, and now you're playing defense, and now you're 
Just put them away. Get the run the ball. Get the first down. The game is over. Take a knee. That sounds like us in the Super Bowl against yeah. New England. So uh, you you have to give Seattle credit though. They are a very entertaining team. I mean, anytime you can flip a script to go from a three point one percent win probability and convert on two fourth downs to win a ball game, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> can we can we stop for a moment and recognize the growth of DK Metcalf? Oh man, I wrote just an entire page of notes just on DK Metcalf. Season. Yeah, 20 catches so far, 496 yards, a bunch of touchdowns. Against Minnesota, six receptions, 93 yards, two TDs. That seems like it's going to be his normal stat line and for both every game. fourth down conversions. Yeah. When the game was on the line, when the team needed it most, Russell Wilson went to DK Metcalf both times. Superstar DK Did Metcalf. Not, not Tyler Lockett, who's been one of the best most efficient receivers in the NFL for the last three years. Now he went to Metcalf in both of the situations. To me, that says a lot. So far, the only wide receiver better statistically than DK Metcalf through the first 21st career games is Randy Moss. And we had this, I don't know if you remember this, but we had this conversation last year about DK Metcalf and rookies and trying to tamp down our expectations and yeah, because rookie uh, Randy Moss had never this, live up to the third and third Randy Moss had this outlier st- uh, statistical rookie season that was like 30, 40% more productive than any other rookie season in NFL history. That's Randy Moss. Now, He's on this kind of the same page as Randy Moss. So check this out. Uh, Randy Moss has 90 catches for 1,678 yards, 20 touchdowns. That's in his first 20, first 20, first 21st 21 games, 21 games. games. Okay. That's an amazing stat. I mean, that's just that's unreal, crazy. right? Metcalf yeah. has 80 catches, 10 less. He's also had 10 drops. Easy, right? Uh, 1,396 yards, so less than 300 yards difference and 12 touchdowns, so not quite as productive. But nonetheless, that is a very, very amazing uh, pointed stat line considering the others in that conversation. Terrell Owens, 47 catches, 734 yards, six touchdowns. Calvin Johnson, 71 catches, 1,133 yards, seven TDs. Julio Jones, 80 catches. 1,272 yards, 12 TDs. So he's statistically almost tied with Julio Jones. He beats Calvin Johnson, Terrell Owens. Those are the those are the receivers now that are in the box that DK Metcalf is being compared to. And I think that's it's fitting because all of the, the ones that you mentioned are uh, big receivers. Mm-hmm. They're dominant physically, um, and part, it's part of what made them unstoppable and amazing. Um, and that's who DK Metcalf is. During the broadcast of this game, there were they kept saying something about Jerry Mo- or Jerry Rice. Yeah. And I say Jerry Moss. <laughs> Jerry Rice. And honestly, that's not that's well, not and a the good reason comparison. That they did, and I'm gonna tell you why they did that. Um Russell Wilson came out in an interview with um who's who's the Collinsworth? Came out in an interview, pregame interview with Collinsworth and compared 
himself and DK Metcalf to what was the San Francisco quarterback? Um, Joe Montana. Joe, he compared himself to Joe Montana and Jerry Rice to DK Metcalf and said that that's what I want to have for us. I want the okay. Joe Montana, um, Jerry Rice. And so I get that. I, and that's I, why Collinsworth was, was talking about that. True. And I, I get that. I, I get that combination and the, and that, so he, but to continuously bring it up and I'm like, he is a very different kind of receiver yes. than Jerry Rice was. Jerry Rice is was the best um, high volume short space receiver in the history of the NFL. Not like a lot I, of people know this, but Jerry Rice had ran a four six forty. He was he not was fast. not a fast guy. No, um, but he was uncoverable in the short space. Absolutely uncoverable. It's it's very similar to. Um, you know, people will think more recently with a guy like uh, Wes Welker or um, just like Steve Largent. Steve, uh, you know, what I'm saying that was my next thing is in Steve Largent in um, in Seahawks history is these guys are absolutely uncoverable in 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 the short space, but they just were premier runners. route runners. Yeah, premier route premier runners. route runners, incredible hands, incredible balance, just, just certain things, Boys, just right, un- big uncoverable guys, yep. and um. That's who those guys are. And that is different than Randy Moss and DK Metcalf and Julio Jones. Who and Calvin are, Johnson. Calvin yeah. Johnson, who are significantly bigger, significantly faster, but not as good in this short little tiny space. Um, their strength lies in their size and their speed and their ability to just physically dominate guys. And that is who as that's why I think uh, Julio and Randy Moss are the better comparisons. Um, and statistically, he's right there with both of them. Yes. And that is. And he has Russell Wilson as true. his quarterback. Well, think of, if you think about um, Randy Moss had. Um, oh, my God, I can picture his face. Um, man, he was never the same after his knee injury either. Um, Culpepper? Yes, Dante Culpepper, um, who until he until he got hurt was an absolutely dominant player. I mean, he his ability to shake off sacks and extend plays and had yeah. a great deep ball was just a phenomenal passer until you know he blew out his knee and then he lost all of that and never really had a good enough pocket presence to continue to be a dominant and player. Then Brett, Brett Favre came for a couple of years and then he moved on. To, uh, Randy Moss moved on to um, to New England for a year or two. Right? He actually, he moved on to uh, Oakland for like three years in the middle there and did nothing. Absolutely was uh, wasted years of his career. And then moved on to New England and it was great for two. Uh, people forget about the um, the Oakland part because he just didn't really yeah, do I anything. I forgot about that. So uh, getting back to DK Metcalf, John Boyle um, from Seahawks.com came up with a quote from DK and DK said after the game, they always told me how big and strong and physical and intimidating I look. So why not just act like it? Amen, brother. Dude, that's, I love that. I know. <laughs> Cause he is big and strong and intimidating. And yeah, then when he, totally. and when he acts like it and he plays physical and strong, which he has his whole career in Seattle, but I mean, just, there's one thing to have those gifts and not use them. 
right? That was um, Chris Matthews, the uh, the really tall guy who had an incredible Super Bowl against New England in that first half, and after doing nothing all year, um, was suddenly really good in the Super Bowl and then disappeared afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a guy with all of the big and strong and physical characteristics and just refused to use them. Uh, and that was why he didn't play much and why he didn't do much uh, in the NFL um, other than that one game. Well, let's, I mean, DK Metcalf's just a big play monster. I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy. So before the last drive, I mean, he had a fairly pedestrian game. Um, one touchdown, a couple, you know, a few receptions and uh, a few yards. And then that last drive, Russell Wilson threw that fourth down conversion, um, you know, from the 20 yard line that got them past the 50. Uh, I think it was a 40, 40 yard completion or something God, that like that. That was a beautiful pass and catch. Beautiful pass. I mean, it was, a, it was short on purpose and DK came back and perfectly timed his jump to come up and get that thing. That was crazy. I've thought for a second there that DK would figure out a way to like, smush that guy down with a stiff arm and, and bolt all mm-hmm. the way down, you know, but uh, that was still awesome. DK is averaging 22.5 yards per reception in 2020, Keith. Which is Tops insane. In the NFL. That's insane. Like, I, I that's don't... A big, that's a big play. That's yeah, I mean, every, every reception is a big play. He's got 20, like what, only 22 or 24 receptions this year, but he leads the NFL in, in yardage you know, or second it's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. All right. His play has just been crazy. Um, and honestly, the last couple of weeks, Lockett's just kind of disappeared. And I find that to be weird because Lockett was so good for so long, the last two years. And then the first couple of weeks of, of this, um, season, he was a dominant player. And then he's kind of disappeared since then. The only other time in Lockett's career that he's disappeared like that, he was hurt. He was playing on a on a sore knee and was really struggling to to make cuts. It really makes me wonder if Lockett's you know uh, got a little bit of an unknown, unreported injury because he's never gone three games like this where he's been kind of a non-factor. Uh, I think he's. <laughs> I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to show up and he's going to have impact in game. So we'll just, we'll see. But you know, it's, they're spreading the ball around, you know, it's interesting. I know. So um, getting targets, the running backs are getting targets. They've got two tight ends that are both um, right, right. really productive right it's a, now. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a tough problem to have. Oh yeah. It's such, so, a, such a tough problem. <laughs> Russell oh, Wilson, man. 34th, fourth quarter, comeback, 30th game winning drive. Russell Wilson after the game said, I felt like Sue Bird in the clutch. I love that quote, dude. I love that. Um, well, and then part of that, though, is that they had that thing. Um, was it a pregame or was it? It was like, it was like, maybe I think where he like, walked in with the shirt, with the no, jersey. No, where she was talking and she was describing oh, uh, him in the clutch. And they nice. had a, um, I want to say it was like maybe the coming back from the first commercial break or something. They were talking it. It, and it, it had her like narrating. There was clips of him, and she was talking about how clutch, um, you know, he is, and all of that kind of stuff. And I tweeted at the moment. I'm like, was she talking about Russell or herself? Because you want to talk about clutch, yeah. right? And then, um, yeah. And then he, of course, he comes after the game. And he's like, yeah, he felt like Stu Bird. And I'm like, okay, this is almost choreographed because they have her do that, 
uh, well, thing and say, then he brings it in, up. In and, all my years of watching and playing sports, that's the first time I've heard of a pro athlete complimenting and comparing himself, a male uh, athlete comparing himself to a female athlete. And I thought that that was, you know, uh, pretty powerful, really. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you break it just down to the just the simple statement, I felt like Sue Bird in the clutch. I mean, I get the fact that maybe it was somewhat coordinated or whatever. Nonetheless, I think that's pretty cool to to have that recognition and and go beyond yourself and your own ego in that moment where you're on top of the world and you're giving credit to somebody else. I think that's pretty cool. Well, and that that's part of Russell. And then the other part of that is the uh, the Storm just won the WNBA title uh, within sure. the last week. Congratulations! And, and she, she's no longer the. <laughs> she's no longer the number one player on the team. You know, they've got some younger players and she's um, in her 17th year. Uh, Goodness. I know. Isn't that crazy? But because they were comparing, because her and LeBron both won their fourth title this year and both wow. in their 17th year, um, which I was like, wow, that's crazy. But um, so she's no longer like the superstar, but she's still the star. She like is like one of the few transcendent players from the WNBA that other people who, even though they don't, if they don't follow women's basketball, they still know who she is. Um, and I, I just thought it was a cool moment. It was like one of those very inclusive moments where, yeah. you know. Well, and Dick Fain came on uh, the radio and compared Russell Wilson's clutch crunch time confidence to that of Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. And I have to say, it is comparable. I mean, is, this guy he, really does rise to the best. occasion on a consistent basis. Now, he there are some misses along the way. Best. He is at his best when this when the the uh, stage is at its biggest. So, what did you think of Minnesota's game plan coming into this game, Keith? Just as an overall premise of how they were taking the ball away from Russell Wilson and making as their a, defense work hard. As a coach, I love it. As a Seahawks fan, I hate it because it worked. <laughs> yeah. That um, first half was 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 great, and we were um, stubborn as sometimes shoddy can be. Uh, it's sticking to a game scripted game plan, and um, it it they needed to move away from that immediately and stop. No, to I press. I like what they did defensively in that they kept both their safeties back. No, and, S- Seahawks defensively fine. Yeah, and, I mean and, Minnesota's got a good offense, and their running back um, is Dalvin Cook is good, Dalvin and their Cook backup um, Madison is yeah. phenomenal. Um, in fact, <laughs> Madison could very well supplant cook as the lead back there um, over the course of this year and next year. I mean, he's also, I mean, the two of them are to me are the, probably the best one, two punch um, at running back in the league. That's why I didn't feel so bad about this game. I mean, giving up 200 yards to those guys, nobody wants to do that. I get it, but they really pressed it. I mean, they, they they ran the mm -hmm. ball uh, 40 some odd times out of their 80 plays. 41. and it was um, it was brutal. And con- congrats to them; they've got a great line. They they pushed us off the off the ball a lot. You saw Cody Barton have what thirteen or fourteen tackles in this game, but all of them were like seven yards beyond the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and he was falling backwards tackling. So Cody Barton's stats look great, but if you watched him on tape, that's why you saw a completely different kind of game because you know. Well, I mean, he had he had fourteen tackles, which led the team, tied with Bobby Wagner. Yeah. And, and nine of them were solo tackles. So it's not like he was, um, you know, getting there after someone else. Him, that he, yeah. I, he, there was a couple plays early on where he just, like one play, he just bounced off 
a running back and didn't make the tackle. And then, uh, like that was pretty bad. And then another he one where a he, few times. he got, yeah, he just got washed out. I got lost in traffic in the middle and couldn't come up and make a play. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of like doubts and they were like, uh, who is this guy? Like, why is he really the guy we thought he was coming into the year? And then after the first, you know, maybe after the first like couple of drives that, that Minnesota had, he stepped up and, and played significantly I thought so. better. I thought he played better in the third and fourth quarter, especially. Even I in mean, the Obviously, quarter. that fourth quarter hit to, yeah. to to blow up the lead block on that fourth and inches play, on, uh, you know, at, at Minnesota's uh, goal line there. Um, yeah. You stuffed wouldn't have the, had a, a successful play without him blowing that yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely stuffed the fullback in the hole, created where there was no room to run. And so the, the play had to like, it allowed uh, whoever came in underneath to make KJ. that play. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he just absolutely stuffed, he filled the hole, stuffed the the um, the fullback, and forced the run back to cut back into uh, the other two guys who made the play. And it was just great, phenomenal team effort play by uh, Cody Barton. I was let's t- let's talk about other uh, standout guys. Um, well, obviously for me, I mean, the biggest standout player for me overall. Maybe not in just this game, but so far in the year is KJ Wright. KJ Wright. So KJ Wright actually had a couple of of really rough games the first couple of games, um, and then with the Bruce Irvin injury, he moved from weak side linebacker to strong side linebacker, which is what he's played his first uh, year in the league. And they did that to help uh, the rookie um, Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks because he's more natural over there, and like, okay, let's let's simplify it for him and let him, um, you know he's going to probably be in that, that role long-term anyway. Um, and since he's moved over to the other side, um, KJ has been playing some of the best football of his career. And I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to understate the fact that he, this has been a guy who's been phenomenal for the Seahawks for a very long time. uh, He's the pro football focus, highest rated defensive player, not named Jonathan Bullard, who we just acquired. Mm -hmm. Um, with an 85.3 rating. Uh, Bobby He's, Wagner's got 81.0, just to give you an idea. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, KJ's been phenomenal the last three weeks. Uh, just out, outstanding. And I, I was reading, um, you know, there's a, a piece on, what is it, the My Northwest by Jim Moore. Um, and he was talking about how was it him? No, it was uh, by Jake Heaps, the former quarterback, but also in my Northwest, um, talking about how, you know, the the issues that, that KJ has with his, you know, with the speed and stuff, now that he's got this D that is troublesome for him. Um, it, he's a better fit athletically on the strong side than on the weak side. And so moving over, he's always been a great player. He's been one of the most instinctual players ever, which is why he's, um, honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen a linebacker better at reading a screen and making a play than KJ, right? And so you take all of the intangible aspects of him and you put him in a situation where he doesn't have to um, 
cover as much space. And you yes, know, I was it, just going to say play in open space. And, where yeah. he still has to play in space. I mean, he look at his interception. In well, he game. drops back in coverage, but it's, but but it's he's not closer to the line of scrimmage where he can it's react. A, it's a lot less space that he has to coverage. It's um, and more of just using his instincts, using his skills, and not it. It's not as pressing on his athleticism. He's never been the fastest guy at at linebacker. Um, they never mattered. He was just that good. Um, uh, but he's lost another step because of his knee and moving him over to the strong side has basically hidden that weakness and allowed all of his strengths to come back forward like they had earlier in his career. And he has been just great for Seattle. Just absolutely great. Yeah. He's been great. Yeah. Sha- Shaquem uh, Griffin has been, um, doing well. Um, you know, there's some spotty play. And then all of a sudden you look at him overall and he's, he's got a decent grade from pro football focus. His coverage has been decent. Um, he's, he has allowed some things this year, uh, but I thought he's uh, really been better in the last, especially the last couple of games. Um, on the offensive side, Russell Wilson, obviously 94.6 overall pro football focus grade. Dwayne Brown's been playing good, solid. Chris Carson's had a good solid year. Medcalf. We already mentioned Damian Lewis. Rookie yep. uh, offensive right guard for the Seahawks is playing really well. In fact, he's one of the best run blockers already in the NFL, which we knew. Okay, and that was why he was drafted. That's why he came in. The question with Lewis was, could he hold his own against uh, pass rushers? And you saw in the Atlanta game where um, Grady Jarrett just stole his lunch money. Um, but then, I mean, that was also his first game as an NFL player with no preseason, right? Um, look at what he did after that. He really has become very, he's been very solid as a pass blocker and, and somewhat dominant as a run blocker. And I think I mentioned it last week that when this team needs a yard or they need two yards on third down to pick up a thing, they, if they're going to run the ball, they run right a lot more than they yeah. run left. And when you've got, uh, Mike Lupati on the other side, who's known, who's built his entire career under being a, a run blocker, um, and you're still running behind your rookie, that is a lot of faith uh, and a lot of trust that the coaches are showing um, to their young player, and he's earned it. He's played really well. And Brandon Shell there too. You can't uh, go without saying anything about him. I mean, he's been a really good signing for the Seahawks. This and can year. can we take a moment to discuss? Uh, the growth of Ethan Posick now that he's in the starting he's lineup. He's nearly flawless on his pass protections this year. He really is. I mean, he's one of the highest rated centers in all of, co- I was going to say college football, in all of the NFL yeah. in pass pro. Yeah. I mean, he has been really, really good. And um, I mean, the the depth of the offensive line has also been helped because we've seen um, Jones and we've seen a lot of uh, Jordan Simmons at both of those guys at guard and they have both played well too. Yeah. And we've had some great, great play. I mean, our offense has been stellar defense has been spotty, but there's been some individual contributions there that have been really good. Jonathan uh, Bullard, who we just signed off uh, Arizona's practice squad had a really good solid game, played 23 snaps had was highly rated on pro football focus, had an over 87 uh, grade uh, overall and over 90, I think it was 92.3 or something pro football focus rated him on like 10 pass rushing snaps. 
So there could be an interesting promise there of, of having a five tech that can actually uh, get a little bit of penetration uh, well, for the Seahawks. When he signed, I actually didn't expect him to do much. Um, at least at first, I figured it would be one of those things that they were able to bring on a little slower. Um, but he came in and played pretty well, but, Really, I mean, to me, when they signed him, I it made me very concerned that maybe Rasheem Green isn't mm-hmm. recovering and isn't just coming back. Because we know Collier has been uh, better than expected. Now, he hasn't been great, but he's been better than expected. Um, and for them to go get another five tech uh, while they wait for Rasheem Green, I thought that was interesting because what do you But it do sounds if- like he's Green's supposed to be ready here, you know, after the bye. So, yeah, I know. Uh, I have that on my notes for uh, for the, our last segment, but it, it made me wonder, like, why? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with three five techs? Mm-hmm. Unless right? one of them can play three tech full time, and none of them can play three tech full time. Well, a Collier could probably do it. Yeah, maybe. I I like what I'm seeing out of Collier. I mean, he's not he's not a great pass rusher. He's never going to be. That's not who he is. But he has been very solid. Um, as a run defender, he's mm-hmm. been, uh, he does his job well. And, uh, like I said, he's not flashy. He's not spectacular, but he, there was a lot of concern that he was going to be just a complete washout after last year. Cause he was just invisible when he was on the field and he's made an impact this year. So, and a positive one. Um, so yeah, just, we'll see how this, how this goes. It'll be interesting when you've got three, five techs. Uh, what they do with that. So you and I, we're going to talk just a little bit about the defense uh, before we get to that, um, to that last segment um, points allowed versus record against the giants, 133 points allowed giants have an zero and five record Seahawks, 135 points allowed five and zero record Texas, 140 points allowed one and four record. Um, the, the, the equalizer is Russell Wilson. You know, it's it's just crazy, but that's the difference, basically. I mean, we well, might have some look, better players around, you know, that, here and there. But you look at you also have to. I mean, you can't you can't just say that one. I mean, the Giants, I know, but, the Giants know. one, I'll give you, but you you, you give me, um, you know, uh, the quarterback in 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 Houston. Um, why do I have so many problems with names after we hit record? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I'm drawing a blank right now too, but well, uh, like worst worst total yards uh, per game allowed all time. 2020 Seattle Seahawks 471.2. The next mm-hmm. closest is the 2020 Atlanta Falcons at 446. I mean, we're on an all time level here of ineptitude as far as yards and points allowed. Um, but but all you know, we're ranked 18th. DBOA. Well, true. We're second in the league in turnovers. That's you know, which the, is that's which, and strength sec- of schedule is, is second, a little higher. Second in the team or second in the league in turnovers. The defense hasn't been good at stopping anyone, but they have been good at ending drives by taking the ball away. So and, after those tur- uh, turnovers, um, the offense led by Russell Wilson has scored eight touchdowns after those ten takeaways, and the other yep. two were victory kneel down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, takeaways, you give the ball back to Russell Wilson. That's, that was what was so aggravating about the Minnesota game was the fact that, you know, their entire premise was to keep the ball away from Russell Wilson. And they did a fantastic job allowing 
Seattle to only have three opportunities in the first half. Um, and then some mistakes were made, you know, uh, in that third quarter and Seattle was able to score a quick 21. Mm-hmm. You know, we well, didn't that, have to drive the, the field to do it. They scored, the Seahawks scored three touchdowns in like a minute, what was it, a minute 52 or minute 54 or something like that. It was under two minutes, they had they scored uh, three touchdowns. Um, you know, and that is the kind of thing that changes a game. And they went yeah. from, they went from, having done nothing offensively and being down by uh, two scores to suddenly being up by a score um, and changing, you know, completely changed the game. And uh, that, but, but, I, mean, Wilson, I mean, the turnovers are awesome, but Seattle needs to find a way to get off the field on defense and get Russ the ball more often. Now that yeah. can come via turnovers, but it also can come by limiting third down conversion. Or just actually getting off the field. Yeah. Um, the conventional I mean, you can't, way. Uh, to, to allowing, you know, multiple long sustained drives per game doesn't seem like a sustainable solution for the Seahawks to go and win a Super Bowl. Now that it looks like we're on our way to being, you know, to 12 or 13 wins. I mean, I think that's clear right now. But once we get to the playoffs, we're going to be facing some teams that look a lot like Minnesota. I mean, you look at Green Bay. They're they're going to be running the same shtick um, in, in, in a potential NFC championship game. That or maybe like Los Angeles Rams. I don't know. But they have a very good offense and a decent defense this year. Um, Seattle will struggle with teams like that. You know, and we may not always end up on the on the positive side of, you know, the equation. Um, if we're going to allow 38, 40 minutes of possession and uh, allow a team to have nine or 10 drives to our, you know, six, um, that's not a great formula usually to win. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, what the the Vikings just did was provide a uh, roadmap for other teams. Run the ball, control the clock, keep the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, and a not let him get into a rhythm because once, uh, once he gets into a rhythm, once he gets going, you're, you're, you're done. And, um, so having that, uh, if you can keep it, they just showed, if you can keep the ball out of Russell's hands and not let him get going, that he can struggle to get started over the course of the first half. And, you're, we're going to see more and more teams do that until Seattle can show that they can stop the run better or mm-hmm. that Russell can um, make the most of very limited opportunities and get points. Oh, snacks. Where are you? I mean, that's, uh, we need, we need some uh, Harrison. Maybe that will help. He is on the practice squad, which I thought was, was, was weird when that he happened. He must be really out of shape, Keith. I mean, yeah. that would be the only thing that would explain that. Yeah. He so, got, he, the, he, agreed to terms with Seattle. They placed him on the practice squad, but they're not praying. Make no mistake. They are not paying him practice squad money. All right. So or he before, would not have taken that. Before that we get to that segment really quick, I just want to go over the, the, the two other teams I think are in the hunt with Seattle at this point in the season in the NFC. It's Green Bay and it's Los Angeles. Green Bay, um, they've, they've beaten teams with a combined five wins. Uh, Vikings, Lions, Saints, Falcons. L.A., uh, they've beaten teams with a combined four wins so far. Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Washington. They've had an easy schedule, except for the Cowboys. And then uh, Seattle. We've beaten teams with seven combined wins. Falcons, Patriots, Cowboys, Dolphins, Vikings. I think that 
uh, even though some of those teams are struggling, the two and two, two and three teams there, even the Vikings at one and four, um, the, the Patriots, Cowboys, Vikings, and Dolphins are not bad teams. Those are teams that are decent teams that have chances to get to at least uh, uh, 500 ball this year, you know. Um, so that'll, that'll be interesting. Now, we've got a schedule coming up that's a little bit more challenging, at least in the immediate future, and then it smooths out at the end. Um, and we can talk about that. But I just thought I'd mention that, that it seems like that's it's a three-way battle right now to get a first-round bye and and get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, I mean, I think they've got to, um, they've got to get that, they've got to get that buy. And it's harder now than ever to get that buy because you only one team gets How big are those Rams it. games? Yeah, those Rams games are going to be huge. Yeah. You know, it was always going to be the 49er games that were going to be huge. And now it looks like the 49er games aren't going to be as big. And it's the Rams games that are, that are the games that we are going to need to take to get the NFC West and get a bye. But I think that the Rams might be artificially elevated. You know, we can talk about that a little bit. Maybe we can revisit that um, next in next week's show. Maybe we can do a kind of an NFC West roundup or something. Um, so let's talk about, well, first, first, I wanted to talk about this, the, uh, the prediction show. How that's going? I kind of wanted to to revisit that, <laughs> Keith. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> no, that's not okay. Five and zero. Oh. So I didn't realize it when I predicted to start the season five and zero oh, that we as a franchise had never been five and zero. Oh. Like I literally predicted something that had never happened before, and uh, it it happened. So I just wanted to say, hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're five and zero. Oh. Um, that's crazy. You know, I thought years was way more realistic when we actually did the show. Um, and I was kind of a pipe dream because I really didn't honestly think that we could get to five and oh. Um, but I thought there was a, a little bit of a chance and it just it just worked out that way. I just had no idea though that we'd be so dominant on on offense. I, I knew we'd have a better offense than last year, but it's next level and Russell Wilson's having kind of one of those career years. So um but next up is the is the Cardinals after the bye week um and that's where we we really have you know our our next focus and um and the cardinals haven't been as quite as good as advertised um which is which is interesting to me i'm not sure what to make of that uh but before we get there we've got um the bye week and then some players with the ability to come back and mm -hmm. what impacts that might have so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about players um, and how they might integrate uh, where they're at as far as being able to come back, if we should expect some of these guys or if we should um, expect them to stay on IR and continue to not be available. So uh, Jamal Adams. Um, it's interesting, Keith, because uh, the Seahawks started the year with Jamal Adams and everybody was just super excited about Jamal Adams. And all of a sudden Jamal Adams uh, went away with a, with a, with a groin pull and um, – we've still won without Jamal Adams and I don't think anybody's really missed him uh, per, oh, they, per se. They've missed him. They've missed him greatly. So, well, let's talk about that. Like what impact is Jamal Adams going to have healthy Jamal Adams coming back into this defense? Like well, how is he going to fit now? How is he going to fit? He's going to fit exactly the way Jamal Adams fits. You know, he's like the best safety in the NFL right now, since Earl Thomas is currently unsigned. Um, you, you don't, and I get that Ryan Neal's played well and they've changed the scheme 
to um, account for the fact that Adams isn't in there and that the scheme changes um, meant fewer big plays, even though less, you know, um, also with fewer big plays, but more medium gain plays. Um, but I think you can go back to having Jamal Adams just be Jamal Adams and let him rush the passer and and let him do the different things. And the thing is that what we may end up doing, since Ryan Neal has played so well, um, is you have all three of them on the field at the same time, and technically what Jamal Adams is a weak side then? linebacker. I, I You leave him as the nickel. Um, but what you do is you have plays where Cody Barton comes off Ryan Neal comes on where Ryan Neal's plays the strong safety and um, Jamal Adams is actually the, the weak side linebacker on that play. Um, and you let him you, you get creative and do stuff, but you, he is a freakish athlete who is just very, very good at football. You find ways to get him on the field and do stuff with him. Uh, speaking of uh, Cody Barton, uh, how about uh, Jordan Brooks? So everyone's kind of talking about gonna... Cody Barton being kind of eh. And I agree. He's kind of, eh, I mean, he's a great placeholder, but it turns out maybe Cody Barton's not the starting kind of quality linebacker we want on our defense, at least right now. Maybe he develops, maybe he mm-hmm. leads a little bit more time, but Jordan Brooks didn't really have enough time to show anything before he got hurt. And so now maybe what, no. what do we have in Jordan Brooks? And does he Jordan, have the ability to, to really add to this defense this year? Oh, he does. Um, he is, Super athletic compared to the other players that we're talking about. He's, um, yeah, he's fast. He's strong. He's agile. He's actually a a really good pass rusher. Um, This is a guy that, that will make an impact once he gets in there. And he's not, uh, Cody Barton has not played in a way that um, is going to keep Jordan Brooks off the field. Um, And and now that uh, KJ Wright has transitioned full-time over to that strong side, Jordan Brooks can come really in right well. away and play that mm-hmm. his his one of his best positions at the, at the weak side. Yeah, and so they made that switch um, in order to make room for Jordan Brooks once uh, Bruce Servin got hurt, and it worked out great for KJ Wright. So why would he ever move back? Um, and it it also works out great for Jordan Brooks because that's he's going to be able to perform better there. It was well, just really and- unfortunate that he got out there after the. Um, the Irvin injury and then instantly hurt his ankle. And and now he's, he's got, he's had an th- additional three or four weeks to look at film, uh, be out in practice, um, yep. not, not full time, but just, you know, walkthroughs and all that kind of stuff. I think that'll help him understand his, his position so that he can act instinctively because mm-hmm. that will be his role. His role at weak side linebacker is to be an instinctive uh, linebacker in open space, be able to drop back into coverage, be able to just cover a lot of ground and um, and react as opposed to, uh, you know, be slow. He needs to be able to use his speed. Um, yeah. And I think that would have a tremendous impact on this defense. I really do. We need more, a little bit more team speed on defense. And Jamal Adams and Brooks bring that in spades. Yep. How, how about uh, Carlos Hyde? See, Hyde's... It- he's a guy that, uh, man, I really thought he would make more of this opportunity because we know he's got talent. We've seen him, whether it be in Houston or San Francisco. Um, the guy is Chris Carson 2.0 um, in terms of his play style and everything and his injury history. Um, but he had the opportunity to really pick up some of the workload when Carson tweaked his knee against Dallas. And instead he hurt his shoulder and hasn't played since. Um, 
they need him back because I think that they they feel more com- con- they feel more confident with him in there than Travis Homer, and uh, I think they want that. Um, and they're and they aren't. They're playing Homer too much and DJ Dallas not enough, in my opinion. Um, you know, they really love Homer's ability to pick up the pass protection. I know, and that's, and that's he's he and he's actually done a really good job of that this year. His, um, you know, blitz pickup as a back uh, has been really good, and I I get that part, but he's so not a runner between the tackles. They just cannot get him going between the tackles. They've had a couple of. Um, good plays outside with him, but most of his runs have gone for no gain. Um, and that's just unfortunate. Um, he, he's been an okay, um, kick returner. And I know that's why he's, uh, at the beginning of the year, he was given the nod over Dallas was because he had that special teams role. Um, but I'd like to see them play Dallas more, but when Hyde comes back from the shoulder injury, he instantly slides back in the number two role. Um, he eats up all, all of those snaps for other things. And they let Chris Carson do more catching the ball out of the backfield, which he's been surprisingly good at this year. So um, I, I think he can come in and, and, and really help the offense. Not that the offense needs a lot of help because um, it's been great, but it just well, provides that up, balance. That brings up a question. Uh, what about Rashad Penny? You know, uh, I don't know where he's at on his rehab. It sounds like he was ready almost at the beginning of the year. Gave him a little bit of extra time. Sounds like he's part of the equation. Um, but uh, where does he fit, if if at all, this year? Um, it depends on where his knee's at. There's one thing. It's different between being um, healthy and ready to go and being 100%. You know what I mean? Um, and they need him 100%. So they have the luxury right now of saying, yeah, we get it. You're ready. Let's go have you work out some more and continue yeah. to get stronger. Let's make sure this isn't a thing going forward. Is, and take is there a uh, drop dead date that we need to add him to the roster in order for him to come back this year? Um, Not for Penny. So there's no contractual year accrued he has, he has to, situation. He has to play one game. Or actually, oh, he, okay. he has to be activated by for one game. So for him, it's... It, so he could really come back if there was an injury. He, they could keep him on off the, off the active roster until we're almost to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting ability to have with him because we don't need him right now, but he could add an element. Mm-hmm. of uh of running that we currently are missing they just don't they don't need to rush him back is dj dallas rashad penny what do you mean is does dj dallas have the same physical attributes that rashad penny has and could he give no. us 90 percent of rashad penny without risking rashad penny coming back um they're different they're different times type of runners uh dj dallas is more Chris Carson um, than Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny is more of a glider and his, he's got that long speed that once he gets in, once he gets free, he can take it the distance What you know, Carson's not going to do that. He's going to be great. So we've got three so, Chris Carson's on the roster, but we don't have a Rashad Penny. Yeah. I mean, he, he does add something different. And we saw last year before, right before the injury, how 
that difference can really. Would you rather have Rashad Penny on the roster or Homer? I'd rather have Rashad Penny on the roster. I'm what not. What do you a, do about Homer's ability to pick up the blitz I'm, and stuff? Well, from everything that we've been told, uh, DJ Dallas can do that. Um, and I, I'm just not a Homer fan uh, compared well, to other not people. Either, but nonetheless, I always see people complain about Homer a little bit, and then I see uh, those same people get admonished by other people who say that Homer should be looked at for his value on pass protection and not so much on his running ability or inability. Well, true. But if you're, I mean, Pete Carroll has him out there for a reason. I know. And I, and I do trust, um, I do trust Pete, Pete Carroll in terms of that. Um, I'm just saying like, I, the Seahawks have five running backs. Um, if you include Penny and the four that are on the roster, um, they have five running backs and they are all, they all have a reason to be on the roster. Um, I think it comes down to if Penny is a hundred percent and ready to go, I think the player that might be on the outside looking in might be Carlos Hyde because he is redundant with, uh, Carson and Carson's skill set. Whereas, you know, if Carson goes Could down, we trade Carlos Hyde for a edge rusher. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> so, uh, how about Philip, Philip Dorsett? Um, here's another player that hasn't played a down for the Seahawks yet. Came in, mm-hmm. was going to be the okay, third so down with, guy that with, was going to stretch um, the field. And here we are and we going to approach week six, the bye, and we don't even know what we've got in Dorset and who, what snaps would he take? Yeah. Um, so I mean, he's a guy that, that in camp was the team loved him. He impressed and just his, his speed. I mean, he's out there with, uh, Lockett and Metcalf. Does Freddie as, Swain go to the practice squad? No. No. Um, David Moore's not going to take less snaps. He might take less snaps. He didn't play. He didn't play well in this last game. Um, but Freddie Swain's been been much better than advertised. Um, so I don't think he would goes anywhere. Seems um, like Freddie Swain is Philip Dorsett minus a you know a few tenths of a second on a forty. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I think you have, I mean, you have other ways to make it happen. I, th- I don't know if, if he gets much playing time because the, the offense is working thing, without Keith, him. The interesting thing, Keith, is that we're really healthy. I mean, which is great as a as a franchise. So mm-hmm. some of these guys that we're talking about have kind of been waiting in the wings maybe for an injury even. Yeah, you know, to, and that's to happen. one of the things with Penny that we talked about is that you know, Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson both have long injury histories. They neither one of them makes it through a sixteen game season. And Carlos Hyde's already been out. Yeah, Carlos Hyde's already been out, missed uh, a couple of weeks. So we have a situation where um, that was that's part of the advantage of where they're at. So if if Carlos Hyde's shoulder is really bad, maybe they stick him on on, on IR, knowing they can pull him back off in three or four weeks, and let Penny. Um, take that roster spot or, or Dallas play more. Mm-hmm. How about uh, uh, snacks Harrison? So we just picked up this dude named snacks and he's big. He's a big dude. And mm-hmm. he takes on two blockers at the same time and, wins. and <laughs> allows other people around him to be playmakers. Yeah. One of the so best. What is run... the advantage of Harrison coming on the roster? Oh, he's one of the best run stuffing defensive tackles like in a long time. I mean, he's just good up front. Um, he's everything that Puna Ford is 
but better. Um, and you think, well, they need a pass rusher. That's rush. true. They need a pass rusher, but you know they get a run stuffer. True, but what that does is, and we saw kind of some of it early in this last game with uh, Jerron Reed is. That was some vintage 2018 Jerron Reed we saw in the first Jerron half. Jerron Reed played a really very good game. He played a very good game. Now, if you free him up to do that during the game and not ask him to be a run stuffer, which is what they were able to do in 2018, is they let him be a pass rusher and let him be disruptive and not ask him to just eat blocks. Um, he can do that job. And he can do that job and be and do it pretty well. And having Harrison in there... Um, one, it's a, it's a if when he's ready, he's an upgrade on Puna Ford, um, and then Puna Ford takes all of those run stuffing snaps away from Reed, and it tur- lets Reed only be uh, the disruptive guy, and he is that's a that's a great fit for his skill set. They're gonna get way more out of Reed for it. The run defense will also get better uh, because Harrison's just really good, but they have to get Harrison on the field first. And yeah. that's the hard part. Well, he showed up in bad shape, so we'll see what happens. You know, well, usually Pete's pretty candid on that. True. But <laughs> he w- he knew he was going to come back, I think, in his mind, in his own mind. He knew that he was probably going to come back. He would have kind of, but it, Pete really kind of laid it in where he said, you know, hey, listen, this guy's kind of needs to spend a little bit of time getting, uh, getting, the, getting right with mm-hmm. his body, and we'll see what happens. Now, uh, if you go out on YouTube and you just look up Damian Harris uh, Harrison um, uh, highlight reel, right? Man, dude, I'm telling you, this guy does not let anything get by him. A- anything within an arm's reach is going down. Yep. By by Harrison. I mean, he and was an so, all pro for a reason. And that was last year's highlights. I'm not talking about over the course of his his career. I'm just yep. talking last year. He's still able to play. He's a player. He's he hasn't lost a lot. Uh, he might be a little out of shape. It's going to take him three weeks of, you know, to get kind of in game shape. Um, let's, I think this is a big, huge impact uh, win for the Seahawks uh, signing uh, him because of who we play in the next five weeks. We got the Cardinals, the 49ers, the Bills, the Rams, and the Cardinals again. Uh, teams that uh, have the ability to move the ball on the ground, um, teams that like to control the clock. Uh, against the Seahawks, want to kind of enact that Minnesota thing. This kind of helps the Seahawks defeat that a little bit. Absolutely, um, and get a, get um, off the field on third down and short and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, th- we're, we're talking about a very impactful player. Um, we talked about the, this team needing that veteran defensive tackle, um, yes. and they've needed yeah. it all offseason. They never found yep. one. They never got one. You know, Brian Monet was in there. Rush is in there now. Um, Neither of those guys are doing what the team really needs a veteran defensive yeah, tackle. Yeah, you need a premier job. guy, and that and they got one. And they went and got one. Yeah, and, and I get that he's not a pass rusher, and more than anything, they need a pass rusher, but he makes the pass rush better by... Yeah, he makes the guys we have better. Yeah, but he'll eat, he'll eat blocks and do things that will um, make sure that teams are in third and long more often. Um, he will also keep drawn read... Uh, fresher so that Reed can come in and, and do what he did in this last game and, and be super disruptive on the inside and do that for more of the game. And so that makes, it makes the pass rush better. So he is a very impactful signing. Staying along the defensive line, a couple of players 
uh, one that should be ready to go. And the other one, I just don't have any idea. And maybe you can help me with that. Uh, Rasheem Green, uh, five tech. Uh, we just signed a guy the other day, Jonathan Bullard, off of Arizona's practice squad. He turned out to be a pretty decent uh, uh, get, mm -hmm. uh, at least in one game. Um, Rasheem Green's coming back. Uh, Collier's been there holding down the fort, playing a few extra snaps, according to Pete Carroll, than he, he really wanted him to be uh, playing. Uh, Rasheem Green was supposed to be, uh, have a breakout year this year and just really never got started. What do you think about his impact and his ability to come back? Or is he even ready to go? Um, he's supposed to be ready to go. I mean, I was, I don't know, but, um, he, he's supposed to be getting close. Uh, and you know, we'll see. My, I still, I, I still question, you know, the Jonathan Bullard signing. If he, if, um, you know, Rasheem Green is ready to come back. Because what are you going to do with three five techs, right? There's only, mm -hmm. really only snaps for two of them. And and so I, I thought that was weird. And so what I, my original thought was like, okay, well, this is a guy who is, um, who's being brought in to... Well, and you have Jermontre Moore, too, who's not been playing bad. No, he hasn't been. Um, Moore can also play on the other side of the line, um, some. Um but I'm just looking at this and I'm like, okay, what? And Taylor, uh, we'll talk about Taylor in a half second, but he's also, you know, 279 pounds as well. Yeah, but he's not and a can five play five. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but I just, you know, you look at, at, at Bullard and I mean, he came in um, with Chicago. He never really earned himself a starting job. He only had two sacks in three years. Um, he was a kind of a coveted guy we talked about entering the draft that year as a guy that Seattle might like to have as their five tech kind of player. Mm -hmm. And we passed on him, but, uh, and, and he never really, he's, I mean, this is a guy with, um, 13 quarterback hits now in four plus years. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking when I, when I thought about him and I thought about Collier, I thought about this almost a sim very similar player. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I was just looking at that and I'm like, I know that, that Collier has been playing more than the team wants. Um, not that Collier, he's been better than, than, you know, we thought he would, but it's just a matter of they like to rotate their defensive linemen more and keep them fresh and not ask them to play a ton of snaps. And they've been playing Collier a ton of snaps. And so I get, you know, that might be with the Bullard signing, but if, if Rasheem Green is, is healthy and ready to come back, maybe that means Bullard, you know, gets waived and they try and get him onto the practice squad. Mm. Um, or maybe they just, you know, wave him and are okay with him leaving. The other thing they can do too is they can uh, start practicing Rasheen Green and, and wait two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Let him see what happens. Yeah, let him get up to speed fully. Um, and then actually, one of the things that happened today that that uh, intrigued me and it made me wonder if if the Seahawks will do anything with is um, uh, Jacksonville just cut. Um, The, the defensive tackle? Yeah, no, the defensive end. Um, He's been with the Seahawks twice. Cassius Marsh. There we go. Oh, what yeah, is with me and names that. today? Um, Cassius Marsh got cut today Um, as they, you know, picked up a younger player off a different practice squad and, and um, went ahead and went with a cheaper, younger guy because they're in full rebuild mode. And, you know, this is a guy that's familiar with the defense, familiar with, um, with Seattle, uh, and maybe they bring him in to provide some pass rush help. 
he can play the strong side linebacker. Mm-hmm. And he, <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that Bruce Irvin role. Yeah. Yep. And he, I mean, he's, he's Bruce Irvin light in terms of, yeah, you know, just, I, I'm just not, not so sure. Not great at not Third as, time near, as a charm, not nearly as good as, as, at, as anything as Irvin, but does kind of have the same ability. And so, you know, he plays special teams, you know, but to have him come in, I mean, they're, they're short, of, um, a linebacker and they could have another guy on the bench and play special teams and, you know, maybe provide, you know, 10 pass rush snaps a game or something. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, they do like familiar faces and quite frankly, this is a Super Bowl team. Um, uh, uh, we are definitely going to be in the hunt. And so you kind of want to surround your team with uh, mm-hmm. solid vets that know the system that the team can trust. And they, he's been back with the team twice or with the team two different times. Yeah, he was drafted so, with the team. They, yeah. um, uh, they traded came back for him. a short stint last year. And then, yeah, he came out, it was just, um, training camp and preseason. And then he didn't make the roster. Um, which he, I guess he was kind of miffed at, but whatever. We'll see. That might preclude him coming back. All right, Keith, talk to me about Daryl Taylor. I was so just ask- January 30th surgery, Rod inserted into his leg, came mm-hmm. into camp, uh, not ready. Uh, both not only just from a medical standpoint, but just from a physical standpoint, he just hadn't done the work that the, the team expected him to be able to do. And, and, and uh, so he needed some more time. Uh, and it's had more time now. Is it enough time? Where's he at? I don't know. I have looked for. It's pretty quiet out there. People who are in the know to say something. And I've been searching for anything and it's, it's very quiet and which is telling is it or is it not? Because when people, when we've had this kind of issue in the past with, with players, um, he's just going to show up on the, on the practice report one day and that's, that's it. I think he might just show up. Yeah. Cause they, again, with like with some of the other guys, they can have him practice for a couple of weeks before they have to, mm-hmm. um, actually activate him onto the roster. And he might just start practicing one day. I was like, hey, guess what? He was a partial participant in practice. And you go, oh, well, that starts the clock. And yes, uh, <laughs> right. That's that's right. Um, it would shock me if that nobody says anything. All of a sudden he just starts practicing. I mean, the expectation level at that point would just be almost nothing. Um, I I just would assume based on the fact that he's a high draft pick, there's a lot of media attention around him. A lot of interest in him uh, succeeding and wanting to to come to the team because of the needs that we have at that position. Uh, to not hear a word about him is telling to me. See, I, and I'm I'm more thinking, yeah, it's telling, but it, to me, it's telling that he might be close because the team doesn't want um, everyone's expectation to be that he's going to come in and save this defense. Because as a rookie who didn't get any training camp or preseason or the first five weeks of the season um, he has yet to practice uh, w- you know, with his professional team at all. There's not going to be uh, pr- from, from the Seahawks standpoint, there's not going to be this expectation that he's going to come in and do much. Um, and they don't want that to be the expectation of the fan base and the media. So I could see them intentionally keeping a lid on any and all news regarding him because it's, easier on him if he's just out there doing his thing prepping getting the work in getting his leg healthy interesting yeah we'll see how about um defensive back 
uh, DJ Reed, hearing that he might be ready or available, but uh, in order for him to to come on and, and actually make the active day roster, uh, it seems like something would need to happen to Amadi. Um, yeah, I, I I mean he is out there. It's a possibility. Um, I just I, honestly with uh, Dunbar healthy and. Adam's starting to, you know, get ready and come back. And all these guys are now starting to play together and sync. Uh huh. I'm like, this is a guy that wasn't, it's not like this, this isn't like they're bringing in uh, someone who used to be the starter and, you know, just wasn't healthy. And, you know, this is a guy that was just out there. Um, And he was cut by San Francisco, but they really wanted him back and Seattle snagged him on waivers. Yeah, I know. Um, but just the fact that they cut him and then all of that, like I, I know they're trying to keep him away from San Francisco and all of that. I mean, I'm sure they might be able to find a spot for him as a special teams guy. I mean, you right. have, there, there they are could. some spots to be, to be had because you have guys, um, that are, you know, get injured and whatever, but they're back into the roster spots and that's what he's going to take i mean this is this isn't a guy that's going to come in you have to essentially take nico thorpe's spot yeah um nico's hurt currently yeah and he's on injured reserve now um one last player mm -hmm. uh as far as reinforcements uh josh gordon haven't heard a word um reinstatement no we haven't which is odd yeah it is but at the same time i was looking at um some stuff with him let me see if I can find the uh, thing I had. Um, the other players, while you're looking, the other players I want to talk about briefly is uh, Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, and Tyler Ott. I mean, those three players right there the special are, 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 are special teams um, uh, pro bowlers at this point. Yeah. Jason Myers is perfect. Michael Dixon's putting every punt known to man inside the five-yard line. And Tyler Rod hasn't made a, a single error all year. I mean, uh, talk about a dependable trio. Yeah, that, that's exactly that what trio you want right there is crazy. Um, okay, so I was looking at how's that for filler, everybody? Uh, that's great filler. While I was <laughs> while I was looking up. Um, okay, so uh, similar situation. I mean, obviously Josh Gordon is a little more extreme, but um, Randy Gregory of the Dallas Cowboys applied for reinstatement in March. And didn't receive his reinstatement until September. Six months. Um, why did it take six months? Because Roger Goodell. Well, Josh Gordon speech. only could could just could apply for reinstatement when he could, right? It wasn't like he could have applied. In no, March. but I'm just saying, like, if, well, yeah, and Randy Gregory couldn't apply until March, and he did. And it still took until September. It still took six months. But now the, for the league, league, but the, but, but the difference is they're playing football right now. And Josh Gordon is being kept out of games. He's got a contract with a team. He's ready to go. But the league is the only thing standing in his way. That's to me. I mean, anyway, I get it. I get the timing thing. It's just, so it seems like there's a, but some sort of bias there. Oh, they're, like they're, they're, they're wanting to is. punish him still there. There absolutely is. There's a, um, you know, how many times has he, uh, been suspended and Eight. he just doesn't really care about that particular league rule. And now it's not even a rule anymore, but he basically just kind of flaunted. And I think the league's 
you know, trying to stick it to him a little bit, but it took six months for Randy Gregory to get okay. reinstated from when he applied. Gordon didn't Josh apply Gordon until applied September. In June. I thought it was June. No, wait, you're right. It's, it was in June. So that would okay. make, um, if you follow that same pattern you're looking at December. Um, and, and at that, that point, if we don't have an injury, there would be no reason to bring back Josh Gordon. Yeah. I mean, the idea that they wouldn't have an injury, I, I, I don't know. I just, I look at, at this is the NFL. <laughs> There's going to be injuries. There's, right. <laughs> it it I mean, just happens. Um, or, or if somebody's underperforming at that point. So mm-hmm. I got one more player. I totally forgot about Kobe Parkinson tight end uh, with the little foot thing. It wasn't going to keep him out very long, but. He started the year in IR. He's probably ready to go, mm-hmm. uh, given the, the nature of that injury. Uh, I think he he broke a little uh, toe uh, bone in uh, June mm-hmm. in a, in a workout, and he was supposed to be ready to go around September first. I didn't think I it was imagine. toe. I thought it was up more midfoot, but yeah, it was okay. a small okay. small bone broken. Um, had to have surgery, but it's not wasn't supposed to be that long. It was a and just he, as a reminder, everybody, this guy is like a six, what, six, seven tight end. Yeah, just absolutely like tall. a massive red zone target guy. Um, Pass and, catching tight end. And, um, you know, he. Like I said, they were th- they were he was thinking he would be ready for week one, really tried to get back, wasn't quite ready. So they, you know, kept him off the roster and he's waited now his time. And um, will be eligible to join the roster uh, after this bye week is over. But that doesn't mean he's going to be activated right away. Um, My guess is that he will start showing up on the practice report as participating. And they're going to use their two weeks to make a decision. And then when they can't delay it any longer, that Luke Wilson's going to be gone. Yeah. Because he's already not playing. playing And, you know, you've got, uh, Will Disley and Olsen that are both playing well. Disley got, um, this was something that, I, that Will Disley scored a touchdown exactly 364 days after rupturing his Achilles tendon. Wow. And it was a great one. Oh, the back of the end zone over absolutely. the, over the shoulder catch. Absolutely. Nice. It was good. So good toss too by Russell. Yep. Um, what, there was another guy. Um, um, Phil Haynes is Phil Haynes on IR like for the season or is, does he have the ability to come off or what, has, what's going on with Phil Haynes? He has the ability to come off. They um, specifically kept him on the roster for 24 hours after, you know, with the 53 and then cut him um, in order to remember the, uh, the fullback slash linebacker slash special teams guy was Nick cut. Ballour. Nick Ballore was cut, but never left town. Um, because basically they had an agreement that they were going to cut him. They were going to bring him back. Um, but they were doing that so that way they could get Haynes onto the roster so they could get him onto IR. So he was available to come back. Um, and easy. And so I love the NFL. Well, I mean, it's no different than what they did with Geno Smith a year ago, right? They cut him. They went went into week one with zero quarterbacks on the roster and then brought Geno Smith back. 24 hours later because I needed to get someone onto IR. Um, and I don't remember who it was. I just know they needed to get someone on IR. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what they did with Haynes this year. He's out there. Um, he's actually eligible to come off 
injured reserve when he's ready. Um, they went out of their way to get him on to IR in that way because they believed he would be able to come back and play and uh, during the season. You know, and, I, and he may be able to play better than uh, uh, Jamarco Jones or Jordan Simmons. I don't I mean, know. Jordan Simmons, both those guys have very low pro football focus grades. I, don't, I know they have low grades, but I watch the tape and I see, yeah, I see uh, a big mistake here or there. But I also see play after play after play where they do their job. Um, and I. So Jamarco Jones. So uh, Jamarco Jones and Jordan Simmons are two of the lowest graded football players on our football team. Jordan Simmons has a grade of 51.6 and Jamarco Jones has 52.6. The only other players lower are Travis Homer at 58.5, Penny Hart at 58.8, and Freddie Swain at 59.6. And then you go to the defense, Trey Flowers is the lowest uh, player of all at 38.2. Yeah, I just don't, I don't see that with um, with Simmons, to be honest. I, I, He's filled, I thought they filled in fine. They haven't had a, a tremendous amount of snaps, but the snaps they've had, it seems like we, they haven't caused any issues. No, I mean they. I, I that's why I don't agree with it. I yeah. I watch. Yeah, there have been some big mistakes, and so you look at it and you're like, okay, I can see why. But would Phil Haynes know, be an upgrade? I mean, that's the question. How how would we know? He didn't play at all last year until the playoffs, and he and had, didn't and didn't he didn't do well. Yeah, well, he did okay. Um, but he yeah he didn't play at all last year until the playoffs missing the entire year. Um, and then this year he has been on IR. We haven't seen him. He hasn't played. So I don't know if he, if he would be an upgrade over those guys. Um, to be honest, he's another guard. Um, I could see them trading BJ Finney if they can get anything in return for him. Yeah. Anything. Right. Um, you know, maybe you could package Finney and Hyde and get a, uh, a situational pass rusher um, back and then open up a spot for uh, Haynes because, well, I mean, he is Haynes uh, and Penny to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're going to have other guys coming off. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting these reinforcements. You got to make room for them. Um, I don't see Finney as a guy that's going to be impactful. So if they could get rid of his contract, I'm sure they will. So let's head out. Um, revisiting the schedule just one more time quickly. So mm -hmm. is there anything on this schedule now that scares you? I mean, the bills got, got turned over. Um, they didn't look really good in their last game. They look vulnerable. The Cardinals now look vulnerable. The 49ers look atrocious, ba bad. The Rams are better than advertised, but everything else, you got the Eagles Cardinals e again, the giants, the jets, the Washington football team, the Rams again, the 49ers to end it. Uh, there's one or two games on here that could be competitive and everything else should be a win. New York, New York and Washington and Philly are, are not the bottom of the barrels. I mean, they are the bottom of the NFL. It's four yeah. games that's left. Um, you know, and that's that right there should be nine wins with the games. They've and that's played. not playing anything in the division. Yeah. So it's Buffalo and the division games. And honestly, unless, San Francisco starts getting healthy and really turns it around. They do not look like a good team right now. No. I mean, they got blown out by Miami, just blown out. 
And to the point where Jimmy Garoppolo, who is, they've been waiting for him to come back, got benched at halftime. Um, and they could be in, they could be in, in some trouble. Um, and, you know, Arizona has been, I know you're saying it's not as good as advertised. They're not as, they're about as good as I expected them to be. Yeah, I know they've got some talent in places, but they don't mm-hmm. have a lot of depth. They're, they're really um, a team that is going to be up and down. They're going to be hot and cold. And right now they're cold. Uh, I expect them to get hot again, you know, in a couple of weeks and, and whatever, but uh, it's, they're going to be up and down. They're just, they're a year away. Um, the Rams are better than, than I'm confounded. Honestly, they lost talent. They didn't replace it really in free agency. Well, they traded away um, cooks in a way, in a move that they're paying him like in terms of salary cap, they're paying him more to not be on the roster than if they'd kept him. And he was probably their best receiver last year. Um, Yeah. And, and Fowler and, you know, they just lost a bunch and I thought that they really didn't go out and do a lot to get anything back, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, like Leonard Floyd and Ashawn Robinson were their gets, but they, but they lost, um, they just lost more than that, you know, and they still have goth and, and he's, you know, but, but somehow or another, he's made it all work uh, this year. Goff is, um, he, if you look at him, if you watch him play, if you look at his stats, he hasn't been bad. I mean, I know that they haven't played anybody yet though. Yeah. I would say he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been good. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, their offense is right there. I know they are, but, but look at the defenses that they've played. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I get it. I know. So what I'm saying is this roster sets up now uh, when you look at it and you look at the way that Seahawks are playing, it, it's set up to where we could easily win 13 wins mm-hmm. um, and have a first-round bye and, and all, the, all the entire playoffs come through Seattle, which would be phenomenal. I mean, and, and <laughs> what I, my bigger thing that I'm getting to in, in the show in this is that you and I sat here three years ago uh, you know, within six months of us, you know, starting the show. Um, and we were in a transition year. We didn't, we didn't know it at the beginning of the, of the year, but by the time we got into the games, we realized that we were not going to be that good. We ended up being better than we thought at 10 wins, um, in a year where we dumped the entire coaching staff and just, uh, you know, a bunch of turnover on the defense and all that kind of stuff. Bunch of loss of talent. We talked about it, this being a three year plan mm-hmm. and and here we are this is year three it is and and we are the the very team that we thought that we would be minus maybe a little bit of talent on the defense but nonetheless really it's just a here we are uh, we are a a super bowl team and i think pete carroll deserves a ton of credit well and he deserves he deserves a ton of, ton of credit because when they when they dumped all that talent and they let michael bennett uh, go and, and Richard Sherman and they, um, and, and all of the, you know, all the turnover that they had and then plus the injuries, uh, losing, yeah, I was saying losing Cam and, um, Cliff Averill, um, just career ending neck injuries and all of that. Um, and Earl Thomas. Well, I was saying Earl Thomas was a year later, but they, but he had the injuries though. True. And so they were playing without him and they, they just went through this whole big, like, okay, they dumped a bunch of talent. They lost a bunch of talent to, to injuries. Um, and they just, I mean, you had, uh, 
you know, Marshawn retire and then. Th- and Brian, and Brian Schottenheimer was a shitty offensive coordinator that first year. Oh God, he was bad. Um, but they did, they went through all of this and they won 10 games anyway and made the playoffs. And then last year they won 11 games in, you know, year two of this rebuild, knowing that they weren't done, knowing that they were still had a lot of work to do. Um, and they won 11. And then this year in it's year three and they're still not done. I mean, they still need a pass rusher that can come in and, and, and seriously impact games in a big way. They don't have that. Um, but the rest of the roster, especially the offensive roster, is so good that it might not matter. It might not matter. I mean, this is a team that is set up. If you to, look around the compete. league, too, that you know they're not the only defense that is not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that they're a, a middle of the road defense. I don't think that they're in a bottom, you know, five or seven or whatever. There's other defenses, believe it or not, out there. Uh, that are worse than Seattle and Seattle's given up a ton of yards. I'm just saying between the, the turnovers we're generating and the timely uh, get off the fields and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, we're a little better than maybe some we'll give them credit for. And, and maybe the infu- everything we just talked about with players coming back and snack Harrison and Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks, and a couple other pieces um, that, that have the ability to play together, you know, get Dunbar out there. Diggs is having, you know, an okay year so far. I don't know what's going on there, but he, he could probably elevate his play a little bit, uh, especially with Adams playing with Adams. Uh, this defense has a chance to get significantly better and be in at least a top 15 type defense combined with the, the lethal offense that we have. We could, this could be a very special year. Yeah. And that, that's, that is has always been the thing, right? This the schedule is easy. The offense is great. The defense just has to not be terrible. terrible. And then some at some points this year they've been terrible. Um, yeah. And the offense has just been the offense has been better than the defense has been bad. And, and they just need enough. to get off the field and give Russell Wilson the ball more. Yeah, that's my only wish. I just either do it with turnovers, and turnovers have been great. Don't get me wrong. Love the turnovers. I keep going at that rate. That's fine. It's get off the field on third down a little bit more, get a little get that percentage down just a little bit. And I will be happy, happy, happy because if you give Russell Wilson, even one more opportunity per game on average, um, these, these close wins end up being blowouts. That's all I'm saying. All right. Anything else, Keith? No. So yeah, bi-week podcast. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Next week we'll be back to normal where uh, we, we talk even more. Um, (laughs) We talk about more stuff. Yes. Yeah. We always, and uh, we, we go into the rest of the schedule. We, we kind of preview the rest of the year after the bye, including uh, the preview of the Cardinals game and whatever else comes up in the week and um, find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at MWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And uh, SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows and find us on your favorite podcast app. So until next time, Keith, go. go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.